for my family, there really isn't, uh, at least on my end, a conceptual difference between my relationship with my brother Rob, my half-brother Mason, my stepbrothers, and my adopted brothers, DQ and Shermont, or my adopted sister. I don't even use the terms step or half or adopted when I talk to people unless it's relevant to what we're talking about. In part because it would be too complicated, but also in part because we don't really see a relational difference. There's just a difference in the timeline. Um, So my idea of being a child of God, I could say, yes, because I'm a Gentile, I have no Jewish heritage, Mm -hmm. that I've been adopted into God's covenant with God's people. But the, the intimacy of that relationship is no different from the beginning. So there's not a difference in the relationship. There's just a difference in the timeline. Welcome back to Barefoot Tumaeus. This is Char. And this is Byron. We're glad you're with us. Woohoo! And we are joined by a very special guest. We have Eli Henry, a third year in the MDiv MACEF dual degree program. Same program that Byron's in right now. Yeah, yeah. And you're joining us to talk about family systems. Is that right? Uh, Family systems, just the weirdness that is family because I come from a pretty strong strange one. Yeah. You you have like every permutation of family that it is possible to have. Like you have step parents and adopted siblings and all sorts of things. I have ex step parents who are still parents. Sheesh. I mean, yeah. you don't have kids, but I don't have <laughs> we kids. Did, we we no. did an episode on parenting a while ago, so that's not a problem. Yeah, no. I have no parenting tips here. Yeah, so we've talked on this podcast before about community and coupled with community is the idea of family. So, I think this will be a very valuable expansion on what even is community? How do we make sense of belonging, of identity as a collective sense? So interesting that you immediately hop to a community sense of what family is. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more of like, because this is a theology podcast, I would love to he- hear like the centralization or the decentralization of nuclear family as mm. what like the Bible talks about or mm. Jesus talks about. Like first and foremost, primarily your own story. Um, but it's interesting, Char, that you hopped to community. Yeah, I mean, community is, I think, uh, the place where the Imago Dei is realized. So I think it has a very mm. theological basis. So, yeah, why don't we start, Eli, um, if you share just some of your story. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so as Char said, I'm a third year at Princeton. Um, before I was at Princeton, I was an undergrad at the University of Rochester, and I'm from the Rochester, Buffalo area. And before that, I was, you know, a kid. And I think it's easiest to explain my family situation chronologically. Mm. So obviously, as with most people who are born, it started <laughs> with a mom and a dad. Sorry, um, test two babies. You're not included in this one. <laughs> and there's genetic material in there. Um, my parents met in the mid-90s, got married. Uh, my mom's name is Lisa. My dad's name is Rob. You're going to get the names mixed up as I go on, though, so don't worry about that. Um They had my older brother, Rob, who is my full biological brother, and then they had me. I was born in 97. They decided to name their first son after... Yeah, he's Robert Todd Henry Jr. Um, Yeah, my mom sprung that one on my dad in the delivery room, apparently. That wasn't his idea? No. Whoa. No. None of our names were his idea. They kind of conceded, like, uh, you know, if I have to make and birth the kid, I get to decide what they're called. Wow. Um, I mean, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad my dad didn't get name me. I would have been Sean Patrick Henry. Wow. Uh, and wow. we're not Irish. So Little that would have been awkward. Boy. Sean Patrick. Uh, Sean Patrick. Uh, anyway. Okay, so older brother Rob. Older brother. I have an older biological brother named Rob. So then I was born in 97. Shortly thereafter, my parents split. Uh, they got divorced. And then my mom met Dan, who was my first stepfather, her second husband. They had my half-brother, Mason. So we have the same mom, different dad. Um, and then they split up and then my mom met her current husband, Greg. So this is her third husband. Um, and he had 
two sons from previous marriages who are half-brothers. So they each have a different mom. Um, There is Benny, who is 19 now, and Emmanuel, who is 24. Um, It got an interesting level of complication because Emmanuel is half Puerto Rican. So all of a sudden we had an extra brown kid in the family. And by that, I mean our first, um, not to spoil (laughs) what's coming next, but um, so at that point it was me, Rob, who's my only full biological brother, Mason, who's my half-brother, and then we added Benny and Eman, who are my stepbrothers, who are also each other's half-brothers. And then my mother and my stepfather, Greg, decided that they wanted to become foster parents. So they became foster parents in the state of New York and very quickly were matched with a sibling group based out in um, Cleveland, Ohio, in the foster system. Uh, It was three siblings, all between the ages of 12 and 14. So that was Deanna, who is now, goodness, 19. Uh, Dequarius, who is 17. And then uh, Sherman, who's now at least 15. There's too many kids to keep track of. But um, So now on my mom's side, this isn't even going to my dad's, we have, from oldest to youngest, Rob, my full biological brother, me, Mason, who's my half-brother, go backward. Emmanuel is between me and Mason. He's my stepbrother. You can see even even now it's hard for me to explain. Yeah. Um, so just the mapping of it. Just yeah. the mapping. Because Emmanuel is older than Mason. Emmanuel's older than Mason. He's 11 months younger than but me. But he came into your family later. Yes. So um, there are a lot of us who are less than nine months apart. Mm-hmm. So people, if they don't know the whole situation, look at my mom a little sideways. They're like, how, how did this happen? It's a miracle. Um, so just in age order, it's Rob, me, Emmanuel, Mason, Deanna, Benny, DQ, and Sherman. I don't think I've actually ever gotten the the, the chronological yes. age-wise. And that's just my mom's family. And that is not including my sister's son, because I now have a nephew in the mix. Um, so my mom has children with my dad, her second husband, Dan, and then now her current husband, Greg, had sons that he brought into marriage, and they adopted kids together. Mm-hmm. So there's eight of us on that side. On my dad's side, after he and my mom split up, he was single for a very long time, just had me and Rob. Um, and then he met my stepmother, Tina, who he's still married to um, about 14 years ago. And she had two daughters from a previous marriage, Taylor and Sierra. Mm-hmm. So Taylor now is about 32. Sierra, I believe, is around 27. So... In total, I have I have nine siblings. Wow! But they are it's a whole nation. <laughs> there I, there are nine siblings. <laughs> there is only one that I'm fully related to. There's only two that I'm actually related to. Mm-hmm. Um, there are way too many parents in the mix. Um, my too adopted siblings, <laughs> <laughs> basically, um, my family's newsletter at their home church in my hometown is the Johnson Myers Garcia Henry Cooper Tutstone family? <laughs> no way. Yeah, because we Oof. um an acronym of that. When my foster, when my adopted siblings moved in as foster kids, um we added them to our family listing at the church. Mm-hmm. And it was before they changed their last name to Johnson Myers, which is my mom and my stepdad's last name. Um so it was Johnson Myers Garcia Henry Cooper Tutstone. So foster so were they intending to go foster to full adoption? Yes. So my family was that's able not to always the direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's often just fostering. The goal of the foster system is ideally always reunification with the biological right. family. Mm-hmm. Um, my siblings were fully in the custody of Cuyahoga County in Ohio when we met them. They'd been in the system for at, at least six years, I believe, longer. Mm. Um, they'd been in since my little brother Sherman was, I think, he was two. Wow! So almost, yeah, around eight years. Um, And it was an in-and-out situation, Um, and then the state finally uh, had full custody. Are they still in relationship at all with their biological parents? They have connection with a few biological family members, Mm -hmm. uh, not with their mother, though. Um, And their their story in the foster system is their own story to tell. But um, my family was able to be connected with them through an agency called Wendy's Wonderful Kids. It's also Mm -hmm. known as the Dave Thomas Foundation. And it is the guy from the restaurant Wendy's. 
Oh, really? Um, Whoa. Yeah, it is. Um, they actually, we now have, we have keychain little cards <gasps> that my mom carries on her key ring. And whenever they go to Wendy's, my siblings can each get a free Junior Frosty. Because they were adopted through the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program. They just get a like, whole ass meal. I mean, it's like the old people thing. <laughs> I know, right? It's great, though. I, I really, frosty. I really appreciate it Sheesh. because the um, the Dave Thomas Foundation, uh, not a sponsor. <laughs> it's brought to you by. <laughs> not brought to you by Wendy's. Not brought to you by the Dave Thomas Foundation. Um, is uh, an organization that pairs quote unquote difficult to adopt kids with families. Um, so that would be kids with uh, special needs or disabilities. Uh, older kids, sibling groups, um, and most parts of the country in the foster system, an older child who is considered difficult to adopt is any child over the age of eight. Whoa. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've got a lot of people who get into the foster uh, system as foster parents, and this obviously isn't everyone in the foster system, um, who are looking to add a baby to their family because they're not able to have a biological child and they didn't want to go through private adoption for whatever reason. Um, but because my siblings, my siblings sort of had a triple, almost quadruple whammy of being older, a sibling group of three, they weren't even in the same foster home, uh, when we met them. My brothers were in one home and my sister was in another because barely any foster family has enough space for a sibling group of three, especially in a mixed gender situation. Um, so they were older, a sibling group, they are black Mm -hmm. and they have behavioral needs and disabilities. Um, So my family, being a foster family, was able to connect with them through the Dave Thomas Foundation. I hate to call it like pet finder for kids, but it is kind of where you find the profile of a child or children online and you reach out to the foundation and say, you know, I'm a registered foster family and we're interested in fostering to adopt this group of kids. Um, And it was a really interesting moment when I I was home. Because you were how old when they were starting to think about this? I think I was 19 when they decided to become foster parents. That's wild. So you were basically on your way out. I was in college. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't living at home. Hmm. I was home. I think I was on fall break in, it must have been my junior year of college. Uh, I remember it was October. My mother was looking through the Wendy's Wonderful Kids page and she stopped on this picture of this little girl and it was a picture of a little girl she showed me and you swiped and it was also a picture of a little boy and a picture of another little boy and she said these are our kids and I was like what she was like Deanna Dequarius and Sherman I think these are our kids um and the (laughs) one of the funny parts was she realized Deanna and I have the same birthday Mm. Deanna was born exactly six years after I was. Mm. Um, and then Dequarius and Sherman both have birthdays within two days of a different member of our family. Mm. One of them has a birthday two days after my mom's. And one of them has a birthday within two days of my stepbrother, Emmanuel. Mm. So that was weird. So my parents decided they were going to contact the Dave Thomas Foundation. They were able to meet my siblings for the first time at the turn of the new year in Ohio. And so for the next few months, I think, I think it was about four or five months, my parents drove back and forth to Cleveland Hmm. like every other weekend to see these kids. Um, And my mom was working. My stepdad was working. And they decided to do that. I was able to meet them in, I think it was February of 2018. I was able to meet uh, Deanna, DQ, and Sherman for the first time. Um, and it was so wild because my sister was so excited to have a sister, mm. which is f- funny now being a trans guy, um, which is a whole other topic. Um, oh, you're saying Deanna was excited. Deanna was it. so excited oh, to, to have, have you a, sister. As a sister. So the minute I showed up, she was so excited. She was yeah. like, oh my God, I want to braid your hair. Cause I had super long hair. She's like, I want to braid your hair. Whoa. We went and got Manny petties at the mall. Like mm. she was so, so excited. Mm. Um, and DQ was like 13 and he was just like whatever because he's 13 and Sherman I swear Sherman hated me when we first met he was he was very he's a very small kid um Char you've gotten to meet my little brother Sherman he's he's enormous he's almost six feet tall now Mm -hmm. and he's about 16 but when he was 11 when I met him he was 
maybe like four foot ten and sixty five pounds, like tiny kid and tiny, angry little guy, like didn't talk to me for a while when I first met him, like a big chunk of the first day. But it turns out that he was understandably very skeptical of these white people that found kids on the Internet. That's what he told us a few months later. He's like, what kind of people find kids on the Internet anyway? Um, cause he was very skeptical, sure. understandably, but, um, did they have agency in choosing of like, no, I would rather not. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we told them throughout the whole process, we were like, this is up to you. Like we would love for you to live with us and to be in our family, but it is up to you. My sister actually, um, had had a family before that wanted to adopt her mm. and didn't want her brothers. And she said no, mm. um, because kids are given a lot of agency, thankfully, at least in my experience in the adoption process. Oh, uh, good. So it's not just your family system. saying, we'll give you this choice, but the agency itself. Yeah. Okay. The good. whole, the Dave Thomas Foundation is wonderful with that. Mm. Um, and my sister and my brothers were waiting and waiting and holding out for the chance to be together. They hadn't lived together in years um, when we met them. So for all of them, their identity as siblings was really important. Yes, it was. It was very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we said, you know, we want all of you, we want all three of you, like we couldn't imagine splitting a sibling group, mm-hmm. even for foster care. Um, my parents had done respite care as foster parents before, which is kind of like babysitting. You know how you would send a a bio kid to like grandma's for the weekend. If you're a foster family, you have to send them to a foster-trained family if you're, like, going out of town. Mm. So my parents did that before they met my siblings. And there were a few kids where the county was like, do you want to long-term foster this kid? And then we found out that it would split them from their sibling group or that they had already been split from their fam- their sibling group. Um, so they were like, we would prefer to foster the whole sibling group if it's possible. Obviously, for some foster kids, it's unhealthy for whatever reason, to be fostered with their sibling group. But, yeah, my siblings, that was very important to them, that they stuck together. Um, and it's it continues to be very important. You know, my sister has had a baby. She had a baby in her senior year of high school. I <laughs> deeply admire the courage it took for her to decide to have her baby. Um, and she lived around the corner from my parents after she moved out. She moved with, like, all of our help and our blessing and everything, um, and she moved into an apartment with her boyfriend and her son. Um, she lived right around the corner. It's very important to her to still be around for her brothers and for our whole family. Um, and it's it's not easy to add a kid to your family through the foster system, no matter how old they are. Um, but if they're a teenager, if they've been in the system for years, if they come from a very difficult family of origin, uh, it's it's very difficult. And it was very difficult for my family. Mm-hmm. Um my perspective on the whole adding to your family through adoption thing through the foster system is, you know, if sin did not exist, my family would not look the way it does. Mm. If wow. sin did not exist, we would not have at least three of my siblings because they would never have had to leave their biological family. Mm-hmm. Um, but we live in a fallen world, some might say. And so... This is a construction of family that reflects the imperfection of humankind, wow. but it is not at all tainted by that, I'd say. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of the idea that God can create beauty out of the ashes, out of chaos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my um, my mom and my stepfather, Greg, are both very transparent um, about the fact that they're both recovered addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom just celebrated... I think 11 years sober. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Beginning of this year. Um, 10 or 11 years. That's and my awesome. step my stepdad's been sober longer than, almost longer than I've been alive, mm. even though I didn't meet him until I was in my teens. Sure. Um, they're both very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. And they have a family configuration that I think neither of them ever envisioned having. <sighs> Not just because of the fact that half their kids are brown and my mom has eight kids and only had to adopt... <laughs> Or only had to make three of them. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very, very different from what I think either of them would say that they could picture for themselves at some point. To have a family, to have kids who are 
successful in their careers and, you know, graduate students and fantastic parents and very successful mm. and well-adjusted. Um, yeah, it comes out of a lot of hard stuff. Um, things were difficult when I was a kid with a single mom, um, with a single mom in active addiction. But the kind of family that has come out of it, I can't imagine existing in a different way. Mm. I was just thinking before this about how people would talk about this concept of chosen family mm -hmm. around me, especially as a queer person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never got the difference. I mean, your family oh, was chosen. Yeah, my family literally <laughs> has been almost every step of the way chosen. Yeah, that's um, You know, even like the choice, my mom will tell me like the choice to have me, like she very intentionally wanted another kid. Um, and you know, she loves all of her kids even if they weren't like planned or chosen like specifically, but um, yeah, my entire family essentially is chosen. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom chose to marry my dad and have Rob, but she also chose to have me. And she also chose to marry Mason's dad and have Mason. Yeah. And then she chose not only to marry Greg, but to marry a man who already had two kids, mm -hmm. who already had his own complicated family situation. And then together they chose to adopt mm -hmm. Three fantastic kids as well. Um, so the concept of chosen family to me was always, it just didn't click because I was like, well, yeah, there's no real distinction between yeah. <laughs> between the people that I've chosen to have in my life and my family because my siblings, you know, I had to choose to have them in my life. I was also given agency in the, and when my family decided to be a foster family, I was going to ask about that. They yeah. asked me, you know, do you think this is a good idea? Hmm. Um, and I did have reservations. I had reservations for a lot of reasons, but I did say yes, in part because I was worried that they would be upset if I didn't say yes, but I am very glad I did. Because okay. um, I was, you know, I was 19. I didn't, I was still not used to people treating me like a grown up. Mm. But um, I had agency in that. And I also was considered in the sort of certification process. I had mm. to go through an FBI background check. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I, <was, laughs> I was an adult. They screened you. I was, uh, quote, an adult in the household, unquote, mm. even though I lived an hour away. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about how the idea of chosen family tends to put the uh, stress on the individual to make those choices, mm. whereas it sounds like the choices were either made by your parents or made in collective, in collectivity, that there's a sense that you as a family unit were choosing how to continue to move. And I wonder, with earlier aspects, so, for example, and we don't have to include whatever you don't want to include, but, like, thinking about... Um, your parents' divorce and then the remarriage and the way that that changed your family, these, you know, different additions or um, separations. How much do you feel like you, you had agency in through that process? I think that I had, well, for my mom's first divorce, I was about two and a half. Yeah, so there's... So there's no really, agency yeah, there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, in a lot of ways, it's just evidence of how much Gen X needed marriage counseling. Mm. Um, and my parents did go to couples therapy and all that, but I wasn't there for it. And um, so I didn't have much agency, any agency, in my mom's first mm -hmm. divorce. Um, my mom's second marriage, um, it ended for very good reasons, um, but also they are on very good terms. Um, and I was given a bit of agency, I'd say, in, you know, <laughs> they they there was this moment where my mom was you know talking about do you still want your stepdad around mm. but when you're a kid I don't know if you know that's really agency sure um what about the introduction of Dan into the family he just I was um I think I was about three and a half okay so again in. similar story. not much agency yeah. uh, my mom does like to tell the story of um my older brother because um, my older brother was very impacted by my parents' divorce. He was quite young, but he was very cognizant of the fact that, you know, mommy and daddy aren't together anymore. Um, <laughs> and she likes to um, joke and tell the story when Rob was about six, when Dan first moved in. Um, he got a duffel bag out and he threw it on the floor and he said to Dan, you need to pack up your stuff and leave because my daddy's going to come home. Yeah. Um, and I'm very grateful, you know, our school had school psychologists who actually did like divorce 
therapy, essentially, for kids in the school because of the high divorce rate in America. Um, but yeah, Rob was trying to exercise agency in that mm. and choosing who was in his family because in his six-year-old brain, what was right was, you know, his mom and his dad being together. Because when you're six, you don't understand why people get divorced. You just want your parents to be together. Um, so that's like told as a funny story sort of in our family, but it is, you know, it's hard to hear. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like to talk about how the trauma of having divorced parents didn't really affect me in the split. It's about everything that happened after and the dynamic between them. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a ton of agency in my family's sort of construction up until, um, my mom met my current stepdad, Greg. Uh, I was 14, 14, 15 at the time. And it was funny because my little brother, Mason, my half brother, he, <laughs> one of the first times Greg came over, Mason, he was around like 10, I think. And he puffed up his little chest <laughs> and he, he like walks into the living room and like is like, what are you doing here with my mother? <laughs> he tried to be so tough because he was there was this guy who just showed up yeah. and I said he was dating our mom. But it was really funny for me because Greg is the uncle of my very good friend from community theater, mm. Trevor. So when Greg came to our house for the first time, you know, they went on a couple dates and he didn't like come over for coffee or anything until a few dates in apparently. And I, I recognized him because I had seen him before. Uh, and I texted my friend Trevor. I was like, Trevor, your uncle's on my couch. Uh, and he was like, what? I was like, yeah, him and my mom went on a date. And he was like, does that make us cousins now? And I said, yes. And then they got married. <laughs> so we were right. But I mean, if I hadn't liked Greg, I did. I love my stepdad a lot. I also love my ex-stepdad a lot. Um, and I love my dad a lot in case anyone's worried. But if I hadn't liked him at that point, being, you know, 14, 15, if I had genuinely expressed myself to my mom and said, you know, there's there's something off about this dude, mm -hmm. I do think she would have listened. Mm. But that would have really been the first instance where I had the agency in deciding. Because yeah. I also, like, I could decide to be like, this is my stepdad and have a detachment. Um, I think some folks who have step-parents exercise, like, a good degree of emotional detachment, especially if they came into your life later, if your parents got divorced in, a, in your adulthood, which is understandable. It's weird to build emotional intimacy with someone who rolls up and marries your mom. But I... And I did that for like a bit. You know, I wasn't cold, but I was like, you are my stepdad. You are not just my stepdad. You are my second stepdad. So I'm just going to keep this distance because, you know, who knows? Um, it was harder because I had siblings that were his kids. As soon as Benny and Eman were added to our family, um, like, I was like, I like these kids. So I think I like their dad. Hmm. And I think I need to I need to be closer with their dad, too, if I'm closer with them. And it was it was never like conscious sort of arithmetic of sure. that. But um, recently I've realized like this is this is another dad. Like when I tell people I have three dads, they get a little confused. But then I explain, you know, I have my dad and then I have my first stepfather who was very much a dad for me. And then I have my current stepfather, who is also very much a dad for me. More importantly, he is my adopted sibling's dad. He is my nephew's grandfather. And um, that change sort of happened relatively recently. This time last year, just about actually, Greg, uh, he had gotten COVID right around the new year. And then he had a massive brain hemorrhage as a result of long COVID. He's not that old. I think he was about 51 uh, when it happened. And it was suddenly like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> he he should have died. He really should have died. Um, and he didn't. And he's doing very well. He's had more long COVID complications since then as well. He's had pulmonary embolisms, which is blood mm. clots in the lungs. 
Um, he continues to have difficulties as in the aftermath of his brain hemorrhage. Um, but he's doing very, very well. He, things could have ended much worse than they did. Um, and so I sort of realized, like, oh, shit, like, I care about this guy. <laughs> like, I care about this guy a lot. Um, like, you, Char, you saw me the day after it happened. Yeah. I hadn't eaten anything in 24 yeah. hours. Um, and I was like, oh, I actually do care about this dude. I care about this dude a lot. Um, and so this past Christmas, it was, you know, the first Christmas after his brain hemorrhage, it was also my nephew Zaire's first Christmas. Um, and so the the collision of those things, um, I just started calling Greg dad. I don't know why, or I can't remember exactly when I started, but, you know, he's dad. Um, and that is a choice that I've made, although I didn't think about it much until I'd already made it. Um, so... The concept of chosen family for me, like my whole family is chosen either by me or by the collective sort of around yeah. me. And in some ways, we can't divorce ourselves from the collective around us, you know, the collective of people we care about or things we care about um, yeah. in those choices. Well, there's uh, what I'm hearing a little bit is a choice and then a choice affirmed or accepted. Mm. Yeah, because like I can I can sit and think, you know. Oh, if my mom had, you know, waited and got, she got married very young. She got married at 19. Um, if I had, like, sat and waited uh, until my, like, if my mom had waited until she was old enough to make the right choice in a husband. Because, you know, talk about sin. My mom and my dad are not compatible. They're very, very incompatible. Um, and if I, if my mom had waited to get married until she was old enough and wise enough. Like, things could have turned out awesome for her. And my family would not look the way it does now. Yeah. And I can sit and wish that, but the choices that have been made have gotten me to where I am. And I am very happy with where I am, with my family, and also with, you know, the things that being in the family I've been in have propelled me to do. Mm. So the the choice affirmed, you know, in some ways... I can't help but affirm the choice because what can I do about the choice? I have a very big question oh that's mulling on my head. And if it's too big, I can just cut this out. But yeah, yeah. we talked about the idea of chosen family versus, I don't know, what is the other term? Nuclear family, Nuclear biological family, family. Yeah, biological, but even beyond biological, but like the idea of like what you choose versus what is kind of assigned to you. Mm -hmm. But in all of this, the ways that your, your family has been shaped and evolved through, like you said, sin, mm -hmm. trauma, challenge, mm -hmm. and newness coming up, through all of that, what do you think about what family means? It's a very big question, but like, you know, when, when you think about family, you obviously have a very different picture than what a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And again, to think theologically, like the family is a very significant idea to our identity construction, to our sense of self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for you, family looks very different than most mm -hmm. people. So how do you see yourself in that? Like, what is family to you? What is family? Um, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Yeah. You know, mm. um, that's the funny thing because the only question I've never had is who is my mother because I only got, mm. no, I have two of those. I have a stepmother who I love very much too. So even there, um, who is my mother? Um, it's people you care about who care about you in a lot of ways. Um because it's been so amorphous for me, I've found that the concept of family can be adopted very easily to different relationships. Mm -hmm. So my definition of family is very odd. Yeah. People can be bonded as family in so many different ways, too. Mm -hmm. um, like, I know folks whose parents remarried 
they remarried someone who had kids and they're like, I guess this is my stepbrother now. Like they don't really know each other very well. For me, it was, it, I've never had that experience. Um, so, you know, I'm able to be like, oh, this is, this person's my sibling now, or this person's like my sibling. Um, I have a very dear friend who I view with very much the same care that I view my 10 month old nephew, uh, not in an infantilizing way, but in a genuine sort of love and care way. Yeah, I'm curious, does the loose boundaries of your actual family, if I can use that term, um, broad and diverse as it is, lead you to a looser boundary between the idea of friend and family? Like, are there friends that either in your own personal uh, life or in your family's life have kind of just been like, oh, yeah, sure, more more the merry. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. My mom um, was mom for a lot of kids mm. in high school. And it was especially my brother Rob um, had a trio of friends, Matt, Tony, and Alan, who were at our house every single weekend. Like, she was mom. Like, they called her mom. Um, and so, you know, they came into our home for various reasons, you know. Tony was just always there because Matt and Alan were always there. Alan was always there for his reasons. Matt was there because his home life was rough. Um, and so it was just kind of the more the merrier. And our house is always like that. You know, my parents live in the middle of town. Uh, my parents being my mom and my stepdad live in the middle of town in our tiny, tiny rural town in New York. And it is just a constant influx and outflux of random people's children. Um and I would love, 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 love for my house to be like that someday. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally don't think I'm going to have biological children. But for me, that is not very devastating because I know that family is built by so much more than just the nuclear family and just the biological or the legal sort of family mm-hmm. um, that I, you know, I want to go into campus ministry and I very easily see the campus ministry kids I've worked with, the campers I've worked with as a pastor at a summer camp as my kids, as my kids or like my nephew or my niece or my nibbling, um, friends as siblings. Um, it's so amorphous that it's definitely, it's definitely a more the merrier situation Mm -hmm. in my family. And I really value having that in my life. Yeah. So as a camp leader or as a minister who sort of adopts these many children that you'd Mm -hmm. be working with, that these are your kids Mm -hmm. in in a future projection that you're describing. Mm -hmm. Is this a conditional organic movement where they can come in and out like they're your kids while you have them here? And then once they leave the camp, once they leave the ministry, whatever, you know, they transition out of that. Or is there's a sense of like, like you mentioned the word bonding before, like, Mm -hmm. do you then commit like okay once they're mm-hmm. my kid they're always my kid that there's some kind of identity attachment there yeah I think I think that varies a lot um obviously as a pastor there is the professional boundary you need to maintain mm-hmm. when you are being a campus minister or being a parish minister or a camp pastor but I you know I have friends who I've adopted for a season who are now off doing their thing one example is my friend Abby. Abby came into our campus ministry that I was in in college. Uh, She was a freshman. I was a junior. And um, she would, I was the cook for our weekly meal. So I would get to our chapel center super early on Wednesdays and cook for dinner. And she would come early and she would just sit and she would hang out. And the first few times she came, I was like, who's this kid? Uh, And then, you know, I started to get to know her and I was talking to her And one day, Abby is just sitting in the kitchen and talking to me while I'm cooking. And she just looks at me and she chirps up. She's like, can you be my mom? Which would have been the accurate term at the time. And I was like, your mom? She's like, yeah, yeah. Can you just like adopt me and be my mom? And I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, okay, cool, because my mom's dead. And I was like, "Uh, what? (laughs) Um, And I was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I thought it was like recent. It was when she was a teenager, but still... She was like, yeah, can you be my mom? So I was like, yeah, That's sure. a different thing, isn't it? It can be. That's a different kind yeah. of question. Yeah. To answer yes and then realize that there is no other mom, so to speak. Yeah. But it's still like she lives in New York still. 
I'm in Princeton. I actually haven't seen her in years. But we still talk whenever we connect like I'm her parent, sort of. So that um, role has sustained That role itself. Has, has stayed. She's very self-sufficient. She has a kid. She has a partner. I'm a grandmother. I am a grandpa now. I am a grandpa. Um, She's an adorable little baby. Um, I am a grandpa. But um, there's still that role. But um, it is different for people who don't have someone to fill a familial role and they find someone who does. My family is very complex in that my mom has gone through trauma. My mom struggled a lot with many things when I was a kid that caused me to develop significant post-traumatic symptoms that I still deal with. And so in some ways, I lack the maternal example that a lot of people have had. Mm. Um, My relationship with my biological mother is very different from a lot of folks' relationship with their biological mother. And so I do have people who are maternal roles for me that I don't have fulfilled in my life. So it's not adding another. Mm -hmm. It is, in some ways, getting one for the first time. So... My stepmom, you know, it was weird with her for the longest time because I met her when I was a teenager and I only saw my dad every other weekend. Um, But recently, especially since I've come out, she has stepped up to the mom plate Mm. and been a mom. Um, You know, I've had a few friends in my life who fulfill sort of that role, but it's sort of different because they're also classmates Mm -hmm. or, you know, it'll be a professor it's it's different when somebody doesn't have a familial role filled and then has someone who is not quote right. unquote technically family. Right. Come in. I, I I've heard you twice go kind of in the generation down direction of nibblings or like pseudo grandchildren in some ways. Um how about the upwards generational direction in terms of grandparents and the idea of familial legacy going back? Yeah, and then the second, the theological side of that is, how do you feel about parental relationship, uh, p- parental language around God, either father or mm, mother yeah. or parent in general? Because mm-hmm. we t- we tend to think like, oh, you know, as long as we just replace God the Father with mother, like that solves all the problems. <laughs> and it's like, mm. you know, and even just parent in general might still be, yeah, a full metaphor. Yeah, um, so yeah, in, grandparents in and the then. upward direction. I've got my mom's parents, Mike and Carol. Uh, My mom's parents were really influential in my upbringing because of my mom's struggle with addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, I basically lived at my grandma's house. You know, I would go home in the evenings and go to my mom's, but my mom would be off at work. Um, I have stayed at my grandparents' house while my mom was in rehab or detox. Um, And they were in, they were absolutely irreplaceable in my childhood. I am a grandpa's kid. I have said with some confidence that I'm my grandpa's favorite grandchild. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's gen- genuinely true, but um, I'm very, very close to my mother's parents. Um, my stepfather, Greg, his mother is around and he has a stepfather. His father died when he was in his 20s. He has a stepfather. So I have a, my, a stepdad, stepdad. Um, and there's, eh, there's, there's an interesting relationship there. But so I do have close grandparental ties. Um, I had a great-grandmother who was alive until I was 15. Mm-hmm. So that was very interesting to yeah. have a generation that a lot of folks never got to really witness. Yeah, um, yeah. having young parents can, can yeah. help in that direction. Yeah, I am, for context, I am 25 years old, and my mother is turning 50 this year. So my parents are young. My mm-hmm. parents are very young. Um, on my dad's side, I have his parents. But that is an another layer to the family onion because my dad is adopted. So my dad was adopted from Spokane, Washington in 19, probably 1966 because he was six months old. Um, and my, my grandparents, my Nana and my Papa, um, they adopted him and then they adopted my aunt in Oregon. They were military family, so they moved around a lot. Uh. Um, and that's interesting because there are these people who have always, well, my Nana has always been my grandmother. My papa came back into my life uh, when I was uh, a preteen because um, he had left and then he came back. So, But my nana's always been my, my nana. She's my grandma. Um, but she's we are not related at all. And it is odd to think about this person who has always been in my life, who is my grandma, 
who I am not related to at all. For some reason, that is much stranger to me than having a sibling, multiple siblings, almost all my siblings, (laughs) who I am not related to Mm -hmm. at all. So parental language for God has always been difficult for me personally, Uh, not just because I have a divorce situation, um, but because I don't. The parental relationship has been difficult for me. You know, I only saw my dad only so often because of our custody agreement when I was a kid. And my relationship with my mother was very strained for a very long time. Still is in many ways. And I have found that language for God as father in our culture that is rife with daddy issues. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the least sexual way possible. Is so ripe for abuse. Mm. Um... When I was a kid, I went and visited a friend who went to a Baptist church. And I got my hands on a pamphlet that talked about how God can act as the dad for people who have never had a good dad. And that I was sobbing. I was maybe 10 years old, just sobbing over the fact that there's like I've had a like a distant relationship with my father just because of circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um and, like, for some reason, it just hit a nerve. But in retrospect, that pamphlet was not theologically sound. It was not healthy. It was not trauma-informed. Um, it could actually be harmful. It could actually be harmful, yeah. I've talked to a good number of folks about this. And I've talked to my spiritual director about this. Um, thinking about the concept of reparenting in therapy. Um There's a fantastic book on complex post-traumatic stress disorder from childhood trauma by Stephanie Fu, who also just announced that she's becoming a mom, which is just wild to me. It's fantastic. What My Bones Um, Know. What My Bones Know by Stephanie Fu. Um, But she talks about the concept of reparenting. And for her, part of her sort of imagining and reparenting is an older version of herself Mm. um, in a maternal role. Mm. And... As a trans guy, I can't imagine an older version of myself in a maternal role. Yeah. But I don't really need a lot of paternal reparenting. I've done a lot of that, mm. you know, in building relationship with my dad. Mm. But I was like, maternal reparenting is something that I need to work on. Wow. And I've had Catholics tell me that I should look to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm Presbyterian. <sighs> Go mom. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's the, uh, the anti-papist ick that's been instilled <laughs> within me. What a pity. I know. I well, know. don't go Catholic. Go Orthodox. Theotokos <laughs> for the win. <laughs> um, and then my, my spiritual director was like, what about just God as your mm-hmm. parent? And I was like, I don't, I don't know about that because I don't want to project my mommy issues onto God. I feel like that would be an obstacle for me. Mm-hmm. And she said, in, you know, it's very difficult to talk about God as parent in a world of imperfect parents. Um, but God is not shaped by the imperfect parenting of this world. God is a detached sort of, you know, any parent on this earth, any king on this earth, any priest on this earth is just an imperfect reflection of God. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still something I, I grapple with a lot. Because it's hard to tangibly feel the imminence of God as mother or father or ruler Mm -hmm. that a lot of that sense of connection, you know, you're listening for a quiet whisper. You're not, there's not this resounding Mm -hmm. presence. Like this is what it is to be a mother. I will mother you you, that you feel this palpable, you know, like we we can have moments like that spiritual moments of, you know, the thin, thin moments or thin places. Yeah. Yeah, You know, various spiritual experiences like this is real for people, but at the same time, there's also a lot of spiritual drought. And so if you're looking for a mother, what does it look like to look for a mother who is not as tangible? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying not as mm-hmm. real or as powerful, but not as yeah. tangible as an actual yeah. human mother figure. Yeah. And um, a lot of theory when it comes into spiritual direction talks about parental wound and especially maternal wound hmm. uh, in people's relationship with God. Uh, And for me, I've been very fortunate, at least recently, um, I've been very, very fortunate to um, 
enter into contemplative practice. I work for a great contemplative center here at the seminary, and I'm able to be sort of immersed in that, in the Ignatian tradition. Um, it's funny, I was just talking about my uh, Presbyterian anti-Catholic bent when I, <laughs> oh, if the Jesuits took trans men, I'm telling you. Mm. But um, <laughs> Jesuits are pretty cool. Yeah, they are pretty cool. And I've been so grateful to be able to have this like imminent, intimate, maternal, not even maternal, because I feel like maternal is a limiting. Like it puts a limit on mm. in some ways to use our understanding of the concept of maternal, because my understanding of the concept of maternal is very much shaped by the harmful experiences I've had. I, I'm sure that you have more to go, but yeah. if I can just speak to this. I hear you saying that, and I also hear you describing something I almost want to say more objective about the role of motherhood, that you're like, yeah, my experience was shaped by my mother and a lot of the ways that you know she couldn't fill that role, almost like that there is some kind of role that she didn't fill, and you're mm -hmm. looking for other people to fill something. So, so it almost feels like there's something really... Um, actual about what a yeah. mother role is a father role a sibling role yeah in a, in a lot of ways i feel like there is and i should i should clarify my mom um is a great parent to her kids in a lot of ways um a lot of my experience is shaped by her parenting when she was in active addiction and you know we were we were pretty broke for a long time so she's under a lot of stress and yeah. uh but yeah, I think at least if you have been raised in a way where you have that concrete role in some way held by someone, your brain is wired to think of it as a definite category. Mm. You know, I have the definite category of mom in my brain much more than I have the definite category of father because that has been in flex mm. for most of my life. So what a father could be could look very different. But yes. what a mother can be, you have a very specific image. In some ways, yeah. I think part of it is um, I'm recently sort of reevaluating whether it can be held by more than one person. Mm. Um, I don't think I need to. I'm now at the point where I don't think I need to have a single person or idea that fills the reparenting role in mothering. But that's a relatively new development for me because that is the one static position that has held in my family is my mother. My, that's that's Lisa. Yeah. Hi, Lisa. I'm, I'm sure you'll listen to this. Hi, Lisa. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So my brain is wired to think of it as an objective position because it's one of the only static positions that's ever existed in my family. Um, it'd be like me imagining having more than one older brother. I only have one. I am pretty sure I will only ever have one. It's just, it doesn't work for my brain to think of it as an amorphous position in some ways. And I'm working on that. But yeah. it is static yeah. in a lot of ways for me. I love that. In the same way that parent is a huge uh, theological image, I've also heard a lot of people navigate and often navigate poorly adoption as a theological yeah. image. Yeah, yeah. Either... Oh, yeah. Gentile adoption into the family of Israel or mm -hmm. um, our adoption into the family of God as humans. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, uh, what's the word, prevenant, preeminent, preeminent grace? This idea that God has already chosen and our responsibility is just to choose back. Mm. Um, or our, our freedom is not even responsibility, but faith is is the response of choosing back the mm. the yes that's already been offered at our creation and all that. So it's a really good question. Are there are there ways that the adoption metaphor is that you see it used well or that you see it used poorly or mm. what does it mean to you? When I think of sort of the religious concept of adoption, I can't help but think of the white evangelicals in my family's <laughs> life. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of those in our life. Um, my parents attend an evangelical church now. Um, and they are very lovely to my family in a lot of ways. Um, but we will have people on, on all sides uh, say to my siblings, oh, you're so lucky. Mm. These kids are so lucky to have you. Um, and my mom is always very insistent to say, no, we're lucky to have them. Mm. Um, and I think it goes back to the autonomy of, you know, they chose to join our family. You know, no matter what social worker told them whatever or caseworker encouraged them to whatever 
they chose to be with their family, and we are lucky to have them. Um, it's, it's especially complicated in transracial adoption. My siblings are black. My parents are white. It's very, it's not just like conceptually uncomfy, but to me, sort of just historically, colonially uncomfy. Yeah. The cultural pejorativity yes. is so yes. prevalent there. There's... They are so lucky to join a proper white family. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But in in religious terms, it's it's been something up until very recently, and I can't speak to the history of the foster system, but adoption has largely been something that's not done with a lot of agency on the behalf of the child. Yeah. And so when we think well, about what even it, is a child, like historically yeah, speaking, what even is a child, um, historically speaking, and um, we don't think about agency on behalf of the adopted, um, and for a lot of folks, adoption still implies some degree of separation compared to a biological child. For my family, mm. there really isn't, uh, at least on my end. Yeah a conceptual difference between my relationship with my brother Rob, my half-brother Mason, my stepbrothers, and my adopted brothers DQ and Shermont, or my adopted sister. I don't even use the terms step or half or adopted when I talk to people unless it's relevant to what we're talking about. In part because it would be too complicated, but also in part because we don't really see a relational difference. There's just a difference in the timeline. Um. So my idea of being a child of God, I could say, yes, because I'm a Gentile, I have no Jewish heritage, Mm -hmm. that I've been adopted into God's covenant with God's people. But the the intimacy of that relationship is no different from the beginning. So there's not a difference in the relationship. There's just a difference in the timeline. I'm not an OT scholar, so I can't speak to (laughs) the supersessionist implications of saying that You know, maybe we aren't adopted. We are just children and eliminating that distinction. Mm. But that's something that I reflect on from my own family, theologically. That is so beautiful. And what I was hearing in your story is, I actually want to say that I do hear a difference. A difference in, like, Rob and you at the beginning, and then Mason, and, and this con- this evolution of your family, there are differences, but they're not differences that discriminate. They're not differences yeah. that create categorical others. And I think that's what I hear you trying to push back against. Yeah. But your family, you like you said at the beginning, your family would not exist if not for sin. Mm-hmm. And yet your family is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So Byron's used this line before. I don't know if it's a quote for something. Um, at first I thought I was broken, and then I realized I was broken open. That's what I hear in your story. And and just thinking about the idea of adoption, too, that there is a messiness to all of it. And it's a messiness that comes from human brokenness. And yet, it's precisely because of that messiness that something incredible can flourish. And we're not talking about redemptive suffering, how we're like putting a little twist that like, oh, suffering is now a good thing or the brokenness is now a good thing. But (laughs) the power to create something beautiful and profound in the midst of chaos that is the blessing of adoption, that, that God is saying, no, you are my child. I won't see you as this mm-hmm. categorical other, mm-hmm. always labeling you as adopted child. Like, mm-hmm. But the context through which you came to me matters. Your yeah. story matters. And I think that's something that gets lost for, I think, especially in transracial adoption, but from adoption in general, mm-hmm. um, from the foster system, but also from private adoption, depending on the context. Um, is that there's loss in adoption. There Mm -hmm. is loss. Um, And it is hard. And when a kid gets adopted into a family, I'll speak specifically to my context. When my siblings were adopted into our family, we did not say, like, this is your history now. Like, your history is, we're going to give you a new family history. Their history, their experiences with their family of origin in the foster system all of the trauma and all of the good things that came out of it too are important and continue to be important. And we don't view them as less than or different in a pejorative sense, mm-hmm. but their experience is different. Absolutely. Just like my older brother Rob and I, we are fully biologically related. We are, we like to say we're the same person in a different font. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we sound alike, we 
move alike, we look alike, um, and we have that, you know, going for us, and that's our history. And my history with my adopted siblings is I met them on a weekend in February in Mm. Cleveland, Ohio, in a Hilton. (laughs) And that is their history, and it is different, and it is holy. And just because a kid comes into a new family, it doesn't erase their history. Mm -hmm. It does not devalue their history. Um, And I think it's important to honor not just the difficulty of being adopted. It is traumatic Mm -hmm. to be adopted. Mm -hmm. But also honor what they bring with them Mm -hmm. and the fact that they are different. They are not other. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so incarnational, Christological, Trinitarian, eschatological, <laughs> like communal, like it not and, and not to idealize it in any in any sort of way. But even your comment about the mundaneness of going to Ohio on a random weekend to to like encounter this thing that becomes absolutely transformational for your experience. And I mean, this is this is the uniqueness that we get to share an experience of, you know, what, what is adoption theology? What is Geminist theology? What is <laughs> what, are, what are all of these things that, that we get to see as lenses of mm-hmm. how God is bringing reconciliation, fullness, God's own presence in these really, really amazing and unexpected ways. There's something miraculous about your family yeah. on the same level <laughs> of Jesus, you know, dividing bread to feed 5,000 on mm. the same level mm. of re resurrection and remembering of this diverse and weird body of humanity into the body of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we are, uh, I've, I, we, I've heard us politely referred to as a blessed blend. Mm. Uh, blended family is a really common mm. term for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my technical term is fucky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. messy and church is messy. And I'm so grateful that I have never had a neat family that you can mm. wrap up in a box with 2.5 kids, a dog, and a picket fence. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would have been better for my neurochemistry, <sighs> but it would not have shaped me into the kind of pastor that I am mm. slash am going to be. Um for better or for worse. Yeah. And who really fits into that very, very small circle yeah, at the, the end of the, the day? Yeah, the heteronormative, cis-heteropatriarchal, capitalist model of family. Um, and that's been so liberating for me as a queer person, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just to be able to be like, I don't need to have biological kids yep. to have a family, you know? Yeah. The Nation of Israel was founded by 12 kids from four different, five different parents. Yes. Yeah. And the namesake of the nation of Israel was kind of a left-behind second-born twin. Who changed their name. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Char. So we have covered so much really rich content. I want to, before we close, just ask if there's anything that you wished you had shared and we didn't have the right question to bring it out. Oh, gosh. I feel like I didn't talk about my dad's family at all. Mm. Um... I think there's been something really holy and really restorative about reconnecting with my dad. Mm -hmm. And this is a whole other topic (laughs) (laughs) about divorce and custody and Mm. immature fathers who grow Mm. maybe not quite too late. Um, But I, in my late teenage years and in my college years, I was able to really reconnect with my dad because my mom was our primary caregiver and to reconnect with my dad And to have a family on both sides, sort of. Um, And to have my stepmother, who has just been the epitome of grace when it comes to coming into a very messy, a little bit fucky situation with these two teenagers who are like bitter, angry, tiny little emo kids. And just be like, I'll be here. Hmm. I'll, I'll be here when you're ready to connect wow like I'll, I'll continue to be here um and she's just been in the background for so long um and then around when i came out even before i came out she she knew she knew um <laughs> she has just been such a 
joy and a support. And um, she is a big reason why I was able to connect with my dad. Mm. And to have someone who is not even in the sense of adoption, because there was never any promise that Tina would ever be able to claim us as her kids, really. Like, we could have just been like, screw off. You're just our dad's second wife who we barely ever get to see. You're some weird lady um, who makes doll houses and really likes tiny, crusty dogs. Um, (laughs) I love her. Mm. And she still stuck around. Mm. And she still loved on us. She got us Christmas presents and booked Mm. our dentist appointments and... And she, when when I became uh, a leader in our LGBT students group here, before I even came out, which, funny how I told them that and thought that they didn't know, um, I came over the next weekend and she had a little rainbow sticker on her wow. car. And it was the epitome of, it was the epitome of God waiting for you to just come on home. Mm. It was it's so awesome. I could, I could, we could have an entire episode just about Tina. So um, it's an active yeah. love playing what sometimes looks like a passive role. Yeah. But waiting for those chirotic moments yeah. to break through. Yeah. She was, she taught me a lot about the prodigal son, mm. even though I, uh, you know, hadn't arguably done anything wrong. She still waited and was, she's so excited whenever I come home. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot to hold. Um, but I think that I think that type of stuff will reach so many people and yeah. so many types of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really so grateful for you coming in and sharing so articulately and so uh, com- in such a compelling way, mm-hmm. so boldly. Mm-hmm. For anybody who is interested in learning more about um, the concepts of you know fostering and adoption, I'd say I wouldn't just say if you're interested in becoming a foster parent. Uh, please do so, but <laughs> please look into uh, resources on uh, transracial adoption, especially and adoption trauma. There are a lot of really great creators on Instagram who talk about adoption trauma and transracial adoption trauma um, because there isn't just beauty in this. There's also pain, and I think the voices of adoptees really deserve to be heard. Um, for people who are actually thinking that they may want to grow their family through fostering and adopting or even just curious, um, there are regional resources. Hillside Family of Agencies is how my family became a foster family. Um, and for people who are foster families, the Dave Thomas Foundation is a great resource for people who are looking to grow their family through adoption by fostering. That's the Dave Thomas Foundation. It's Wendy's Wonderful Kids. Um, but always when thinking about fostering and adoption, prioritize the voices of adoptees, especially in situations of transracial adoption. It is so important to listen to people who are adopted, not just those who run the industry, as it were. So before we head out, I'd love to uh, once again invite you all to um, interact with and connect with us on Instagram or on whatever platform you're listening on this. Send us messages, send us uh, comments, questions, suggestions. We'd love to hear them. So, beloved, take this and consider how you fit into this whole funky, fucky family. (laughs) May you find wonder in the mundane, hope amidst the chaos, and comfort in the love that makes you, you. Go in peace.